Welcome to Beneath Your Beautiful, where guests share stories of adversity and perseverance, which inspire, encourage, and challenge us. We embrace these tough conversations, intimately exploring our loves, fears, and hopes with a delicious combination of depth and lightness. Hi there, I'm Andrea Johnson, and I'm a transformational leadership coach, and I work especially with female leaders, helping them to mostly embody themselves and become everything that they can be, creating a new culture by helping them understand how to think critically, to create imaginatively, and to lead effectively. I would think, though, that a female leader already has those traits. You would think. We bury so much, Ara. I talk a lot about our ABCs, which are our assumptions, beliefs, and conditioning. And it is amazing how much our conditioning plays in what we allow other people to see. I personally am going through this right now. (laughs) Even though I teach people this, we're recording this in December. I don't know when it will release, but December has not traditionally been an easy month for me. And I found myself the four and five days coming up to the month of December starting, waking up every morning in tears, not understanding why. And having this amazing amount of anxiety and just apologizing to my husband and and then realizing, oh, hang on, this is just conditioning. My body is just conditioned to think that December is not safe for me. And being able to work through that has made all the difference. We do have innate abilities to do them. We just don't always tap into those or use them. And it's not always okay for us to do so. Do you mind sharing anything about what it is that you're conditioned about December and then how you worked through that? I come from a long line of Southern Baptists, okay? Mm -hmm. My grandfather was a deacon. My father was a pastor. Then they were missionaries. I met my husband in grad school. I have nearly a master's of divinity. I've been a pastor's wife for nearly 30 years. And in Baptist churches, we vote on the budget every December. It's usually a big deal and we've been in small churches. And so if there's going to be a faction in the church, Baptist churches are traditionally autonomous. And so there is this ability for things to happen in December. So never mind just the regular, it's the holidays, be it Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, whatever. It's just all that. Yeah. (laughs) Plus the idea that there have been a couple of Christmases or, you know, December, right around December 10, 12, somewhere in there. There have been a few of them where either the budget wasn't going to pass or my husband was going to get fired. And, it, you know, it didn't happen any of those times. But my body says, you need to be wary. <laughs> We're coming into that season of unsafeness. So being able to recognize it, I think naming things makes all the difference in the world. Being able to say, what is it about every day waking up? Why is my body like in knots every morning? But by the time I make it through the day, because I'm a coach, right? So I've learned the art of self-coaching. I can do that, but why should it take me all day to do that? And when I finally realized, wait a minute, this is December. A year ago, two years ago, three years ago, bad things were happening. I was fearing for my stability and my steadiness and my income and, you know, just those kinds of things at Christmas. That's the biggest gift buying time of the year. And so it's just really hard, but being able to name it and say, thank you to my body. You have been Mm -hmm. very kind to me. You have been armored up all these years to protect me 
to make sure that I could be standing in whatever situation it is to with grace and beauty and to not take it out on someone else, to be able to love people even when they don't love back. Thank you for all of that. Now, this December, dear body, this December looks different. And in the absence of a tangible threat, I'm also an Enneagram six, which just double is a double whammy um, because we're the ones that are always looking for what's the worst thing that could happen and we prepare for it. So my brain and my body are saying in the absence of tangible threat, we need to find something. You're going to miss something. The other shoe's going to drop or you just haven't been paying attention. Where's your armor? Why is it not on? <laughs> and so being able to talk myself through that, I do a lot of journaling, write a lot of things down and thank God and thank my body for all the things that I've been able to work through and that either God has brought me through or my body's brought me through. And that just sounds weird saying it out loud sometimes, but it makes all the difference in the world. I'm the youngest of six kids. And for a long time, my image, whenever I thought of my older brothers and sisters was of them rolling their eyes at me. They haven't done that as an adult, but as an adult, that's what I would, anytime I wanted to do something new in the world, this podcast or my magazine or whatever I've done, I really had to learn that that's my child mind, that it's not even true. Of course, they're cheering me on, mm. but I think it keeps me small, those beliefs that I have the worst problem saying I'm a leader. And yet I know I'm blazing trails, doing whatever the hell I want because life is short and I don't want to miss out and I'm doing the art that fulfills me and I'm making things and I'm creating and I'm I'm not small. Mm. But something about the word leader. So what do you have about that? Well, I'm always happy to change the word. You know, we don't have to have the word, but I would say I'm John Maxwell leadership trained and one of the things that I learned early on and I started way back with my own journey back when I was 20 and one of the things that John Maxwell actually put in words for me was the first person you have to lead is yourself. And if you are leading yourself, you are by definition a leader. Mm. So I think a lot of it is either changing the word or changing the definition. And leading doesn't necessarily mean you have to lead a team of people. It doesn't mean you need to lead a company. It doesn't mean you need to lead a revolution. It doesn't mean you need to lead the nation. It means you have decided that you're going to make decisions on your own and that you can actually move forward with them. So everything that you just said to me is a definition of being a leader. But women, I think, have the ability to do this in ways that we don't recognize. And part of it is because we do have the ability to, quote unquote, play in the small circle sometimes, especially when we're in the mom role, right? It's like, that's leadership right there. If you've raised two daughters to 24 and 28... And they are upstanding citizens and they want to come home for Christmas. Yeah, I just talked to my 28-year-old for 40 minutes. I had to get off the phone. I'm the one who told her I had to go. <laughs> How great is that? <laughs> what a fabulous leader. I mean, women forget that. We have all these roles that we are just kind of placed on us by society. And we forget that they actually have a definition and a meaning. We forget that they have value. I talk to women all the time who say, well, I'm, I've only done, I've only been a secretary. I spent 25 years in higher education, in administration and research administration and operations, mostly medical schools. And I had administrative assistants who had been there 30 or 40 years. Well, I can't do anything else. This is all I know how to do. I'm like, hold up. <laughs> You've raised children. 
you've managed this person for this many years, you've done this, that, and the other. Why can't you step up to this new role? Well, I'm old and you learned how to use an iPhone. What's the problem, right? I mean, it's just, we assume certain things are just ours to do and we don't recognize that we actually do make a conscious effort to step up to them. If somebody was gonna hire you over somebody else, why would they hire you to help them? I think it's what they need, right? Based on what they need. If they're looking for someone who is going to sit and simply hold space and let them just completely work things out, I have great coaches who can do that, that I can refer them to, right? If they want somebody who is going to say, here's the system, work the system, call me when you're done. I have plenty of people that can do that. I occupy that weird gray mushy middle where I am very good with what I would call hybrid instructional coaching. I do this in training. I do workshops that are hybrid workshops. I have a coaching program that is half digital course, half meeting with me on a regular basis. And part of that is because of just my personality. But part of it is a lot of women who come to me, if they're gonna hire me individually, they're middle to upper management, maybe even in the C-suite. And they are probably a millennial. And they probably don't have anybody that's ever kind of been like an aunt or a a mom figure that has said, you can do this and this is how. And so half the time I listen and and then they'll say, I'd like your feedback on this. Oh, okay. Well, here you you got it. You know, and you know, as well as I do, we've been around the sun a certain number of times. We have life experience and half the time that's what people get from me. But the other piece of hiring me that's different from others is I am very highly focused on core values and our assumptions, beliefs, and conditioning because we can work on all the stuff out here, right? We can tell you what your disc type is. We can give you all the ways that you can grow as a leader. We can do a personal growth plan for you where you figure all these things out. And I can do that with you really well. But if you're not willing to stand in your own values, and and I don't mean like the values that you take on, but God created you to be you specifically. And oh gosh, I don't think he makes any mistakes and his fingerprints are all over us. And when we look at all the vastness of his character and who he is and see how that is reflected differently in each individual human, I just can't wait to figure out, you know, how each snowflake looks different. But being able to say to somebody, your core values have affected every single decision you have ever made, every upset you have ever had, every argument, every joy, every triumph. You just may not realize it. If you figure out what they are now going forward, you can be intentional with it. It's who you were created to be. We can start with the things outside of us and work in, but I like to start with people in the inside and work out. Well, I say that only because I started on the outside to work in. And if you go looking me up online anywhere, you're going to find that my business name is The Intentional Optimist. I am by nature somebody who's very realistic and I'm looking for it. And I, when I lost my mother, that bubbliness in my life was gone. And I said, I want to cultivate that in myself. And so what I did was I sat down for about a year. <laughs> I wrote down all the things that I believed in and wanted to stand for and ended up pulling them together. I put them into like all these different six or eight columns. And then I kind of realized these are some principles. Well, How do these go together and how do these go together? And I ended up with six, what I call six tenets of intentional optimism. And they are optimistic, present, energetic, courageous, wise, and intentional. 
Mm-hmm. And I say those are my tenants and I teach my clients that I live by. So they are how I do what I do. Mm-hmm. But I started on the outside and then I was like, something's missing. <laughs> and that's when I started going deeper. I did core values work 30 years ago when I started Franklin Covey Systems. It helped me learn about the things that I valued. But as I started looking at my intentional optimism and I knew something was missing, I said, well, what are my core values? And it's when you look at the things that upset you, the things that make you happy. And when you work from that place, then you can be like this tree that is rooted well. If you're out on the West Coast, you know, like a giant redwood, you know, the taproot goes way down, the canopy goes way high and spreads out wide which gives us the ability to be the kind of leader we want to be. So I tell people that when you know your core values, you can then live them out as an intentional optimist. Being able to say, I know who I am and this is how I do what I do is very powerful, especially with women. Are you saying that you started on the outside, meaning that you cared how you looked more than you cared how you felt? Or is that not what you're saying? No, that's a good question. And I guess I should present it better. I cared more about my behavior than my thoughts and feelings. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think we all start there. It's like, how can I change my habit? But there's more to just changing a habit than the behavior pattern. It's also understanding how you got there. I am also a gastric bypass patient. I completely am 100% for the surgery if it's right for you. But I do not advocate people having the surgery if you're not going to completely change the way you think and behave. Because you got to the place where you are needing the surgery for a reason and somehow. So changing our behavior is a great place to start. But we also know if you've raised children, you know that you can manage kids' behavior. But if you don't get to their heart and what they're thinking, then as soon as they're out from underneath your thumb, they're going to do whatever they want. I think most of us as parents, what we want is to raise kids who understand who they are and how to live the safest, best, most productive, most flourishing way that they can. And so that's what I'm trying to do in a coaching space. I have a 15-year-old stepson who it has been difficult, but one of the things I do see that I I can do differently with him than his mother does with him and that I didn't do with my own kids is that I can say, why do you want to do that? Rather than having a knee-jerk reaction to they're not doing what I want, I can have a deep conversation with him where the rest of the adults in his life can't. We have a strained relationship because his mother really dislikes me. But every time we do have a deep conversation, it's deep because I want to know his heart. Well, why is that? And I don't think I ever had those kind of conversations with my own children as children. I do, of course, now. The little bit of distance from being the parent, you know, to being a step-parent is giving me that ability. You really see it in the grandparent relationship. My son reflects who I am as a parent, right? And But for my mother, he was her sugar cookie, right? Because his behavior didn't reflect on her. (laughs) And so you're right, there is that little space. But part of that is also coming back to saying, where in my life can I actually show up differently? And this is where intentional optimism comes in. It's the being present. It's the recognizing that I am here now. And you may not have done that with your daughters because you were a different person when they were that age. Single parent getting through the day. And you didn't have the energy or the time. 
I was such a tumbleweed. I'm so impressed when there's intentional parenting. I was getting to the next day. So my story in that is that I went through early menopause. I didn't marry until 27 and then had gastric bypass surgery a little while later and then needed to wait a little while after that. And by the time I hit 37, 38, I was in perimenopause. And Mm. so I went into early menopause and could not get pregnant. And so he is adopted. And there were plenty of times where like, why couldn't we have children when we were young? And now I look back and you and I are almost basically the same age. And you have 28 and 24 and I have a 15 year old, but you can see very clearly how you act differently with a 15 year old now. And I'm thinking my son has ADHD and you know anxiety and completely I'm a child of, you know, parents who was like children to be seen and not heard. You're too loud. And yeah. he's Mr. Do something different. And so I think it's a beauty. Sometimes our stories, the way they unfold. And that's why having your core values and understanding who you are is important because each mm-hmm. story unfolds differently. And I love your logo and the name of this podcast is to be able to see beneath it, to beneath the surface, to be able to look beneath that and say, this is who I am and I'm going to be present today. I'm going to be courageous in how I do it. We might need braces. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like one thing after another and yeah. to not be that tumbleweed. I don't know that we set out to be intentional parents. But I think we were given that gift as older parents and parents who had to figure out that our child had ADHD because it's not in my family. We had to learn those things in order to be a good parent. So I think part of that is just the lessons of life. How do you help somebody find their core values? How do I know my core values? Well, the very first thing I tell you is um, whatever really pisses you off (laughs) is probably the opposite of one of your core values, right? That's probably a good indicator of what some of your top core values are. I play tennis, I play doubles, and in the league I'm in, we have three partners during the evening. And oh my gosh, whatever my partner is feeling or thinking, me too, which is a terrible thing because I gotta be responsible for myself. I feel it all. And it's really hard in tennis. And so I have to have a partner in general, like for tournaments and stuff, who's totally go with the flow and easygoing. And so I just know that, that I need that in a partner. Well, in life, actually, I need that in a partner. But yeah, because if they're overwhelmed easy, then I am also. Mm. You're very empathetic. I totally feel all the things you're feeling. And it's very annoying. <laughs> <laughs> So be happy all the time. (laughs) Well, and I used to have a phrase that I would use in certain situations if I didn't want to be affected by other people's negative stuff. I would say, you know, like shields up. Yeah. I had to decide I'm not going to let your energy affect me. And the art is being able to play tennis with the shield there, right? Right. And that takes a lot of self-coaching. It takes a lot of determining who you are. But again, when you know you, then you're more likely to be able to make the choices that you need to make. To even, because you probably, when you take their energy and spiral down with them, you're not helping them. I know these things. And the mature part of me is like, I'm not taking them on. I'm my own person. I'm responsible only for me. And then the little five-year-old in me is like, I don't want to be the mature one. Why don't they just snap out of their attitude? So I'm a constant battle between this lovely, sophisticated, mature woman that I have grown into and the five-year-old who's very loud in my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
And here's the thing. I don't think the five-year-old is always wrong. Oh. <laughs> oh, I like that a lot. I did for three years in my podcast, I interviewed leaders and what I wanted was their story because I wanted to show people like you that everybody is a leader. And one of the things, the question that I always asked them was, what is the thing that you would say was your earliest leadership memory? You were either tossed into leadership or you stepped into leadership. But one of the things that I noticed is that about 80% of them would give me an answer of something like when I was five or when I was six or when I was seven, did this thing. And looking back on it now, I see that that is very much a leadership quality. One of them was, she was the youngest, but she paddled out on a paddleboard like way out. They had to come get her, right? But she was like, I'm safe. I can do what I want to do and y'all can't stop me. And they were like, come back. And it sounds like it was something bad, but the reality is she's now blazing her own trail. So many of us though, Hara, don't go straight from that five-year-old into what we're doing now. We take this circuitous route to get there. And more than 60 or 70% of the ones that gave me a story like that, I would say, do you realize that's what you're doing now? Oh God, I never did, you know? And so when I say, I don't think the five-year-old is always wrong, there's something she's telling you. It's not terrible to let, now we don't need to be immature, but you know. No, I hear you. That's really great. I'm going to think about that some more. That's awesome. I just would love for women to understand that they can do the starting from the inside out work and it's not scary. There's nothing you're going to learn about yourself that's bad. What you're going to learn about yourself is going to make you go, oh, <laughs> that's why, you know. If you're willing to look at your core values, if you're willing to confront your own assumptions and beliefs and some of the conditioning that have told you that maybe some of those core values are not okay, then you can actually have the impact that we all dream of having some kind of impact. It may not be to lead as a CEO or the vice president. It might be to be the kind of mom that you really want to be. It might mm -hmm. be to have your own business and you too can have that if you're willing to do the work. This was so lovely. Thank you so much. Agreed. Thank you so much. It's my privilege. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Beneath Your Beautiful, hosted by Hara Allison. And thank you for your ratings and reviews. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Stay tuned. <laughs>